Feeding the Starving Artist podcast. My name is Rick Goodstein, and with me is my friend Ron McCurdy and our special guest artist for today, Jeff Coffin. How's everybody doing? Great, man. And, 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 th- and thanks for giving your time to do this. Uh, we really appreciate it, Jeff. My pleasure. Thank you. This is the second of a two-part interview and conversation that we had with Jeff Coffin, who's presently a member of the Dave Matthews Band. He's a former member of Bella Fleck and the Flecktones, where he won three Grammy Awards. He's a faculty member at Vanderbilt University and his own band called Mutet. Jeff, if I view you as many times as we've gotten together. You've been very generous with your time. You did some guest lectures for me at Clemson, starting all the way back in, the, in your time with the Disney event. But I always see you as maturing as what I would just call a true Renaissance man, in that you have so many more interests than just music. I mean, you're into art, you're drawing, you just have so many and such a variety of ways that you explore the world around you. Can you talk a little bit about that and what how, how that feeds your musicality? Yeah, well, it's it's interesting. That kind of, I guess I had kind of an epiphany many, many years ago. Whoops. Did you hear that? There's the storm. <laughs> going okay, in. live from Nashville, Tennessee, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. We take a pause for this weather yeah, break. It's a big one coming in from the west. So yeah, I kind of had an epiphany many years ago and, and it actually coincided and was influenced by when I first started listening to African music. And not to go too deeply into it, but you know, we were always told, you know, art imitates life, you know, life imitates art, the whole, the whole kind of, you know, circular nature of all that. So when I first started to listen to African music, I was, I was in North Texas and there was a percussionist named Leanne Harris who, um, was listening to a lot of African music. And we were told that jazz was sort of an amalgam of African rhythms, European harmony that had all come in, you know, through the slave trade into New Orleans, um, through Congo Square, et cetera, et cetera. Like the whole history of that, as most of us know. And if, and if you don't know that history, I would highly recommend getting hip to that history in the way that it moved up the Mississippi and, and branched out, et cetera, et cetera. My question was, well, why am I taking four semesters of European music history what about the rest of the world? What about Africa in particular? You know, the, this music that has influenced me, Black American music that has influenced me so heavily, why are we not checking that out? Why are we not checking out the roots of that music? And you talk about Bartok, you can't talk about Bartok without talking about the folk music that he listened to to compose his, his works. They are, are absolutely intertwined w- within those compositions. So, I remember I gave Leanne a cassette and asked her if she would record her favorite couple of records for me. And one was King Sunny Ade, a Nigerian Afropop, and a record called Synchro System. And then another one was, was Field Recordings Out of the Congo. And it was, you know, like little kids, dan- you could hear them dancing, singing two, twos against threes, these different polyrhythms that were going on. And, and my mind was completely blown. I had never heard anything like this. And and, and I knew that it wasn't institutionalized either. I knew that it was all by rote. And so I started to get like cut out CDs or UCDs of, of African music. Mostly, you know, I, w- I would be looking for stuff that was, was field recorded. And basically, so field recordings are basically you, you go out into an area with remote equipment and you record music that's indigenous to that particular reason for, for that region. Mm-hmm. For people that don't understand what a field recording is. Alan Lomax did it a bunch uh, in the U.S. also. 
many and Bartok did it also, of course, with Kodai. And uh, so I would look for that stuff and, and then I would read the liner notes and it would talk like it would have a title of a tune and it would be in uh, an African dialect. And then it would describe that and say, OK, well, this is, you know, this is for a bountiful harvest. They're playing for a bountiful harvest. They're playing for a puberty ritual. They're playing for a wedding, playing for a death, good harvest, bad harvest, rainy season, dry season, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And, and the light went off and I was like, oh, my God, this is what people are talking about. This is art imitating life. There is no division within how they live and how they create. And so the dance, the, the clothes they wear, the, the rhythms that they play, the words they speak, the costumes that they don, all these things are interrelated. And so I made a decision early on that I was going to live a creative life. And I wanted to surround myself with people who were creative, with situations that were creative. I didn't want to live just a nine to five life in an office somewhere. And that's, that's great for some people. And, and Rick, that kind of gets to what we were talking about before of like, with, with the Disney thing, I was like, well, I know that this isn't what I, I don't want to do this routine every day. Right. And so I realized that I have to be surrounded by art. I have to be surrounded by creativity, by improvisation, by, by the potentiality of creativity at all points in my day. So this room, this loft above my garage, this is one of the places. I have really beautiful folk art on the walls. Even back there, you can see a couple of pieces. The chicken, whatever it is, I found at, at some thrift store somewhere, very cool old folk art. And then the other one, the, the blue man kind of thing, I got down in Mexico uh, when we were there in May with Dave Matthews and it's on a little thin little tissue paper. And, uh, and I've got a bunch of stuff. I've got all my music books out here not just like interviews with train and miles and monk and Roland Kirk and those guys, but, but on the consciousness of music, Hazrat and Anaya Khan's books, there's another one called not a Brahma. The world is sound, like getting into the spirituality of vibration and of music and the connectivity of all those different things. I've got records out here. Everything I need to be creative is in this room. And I, and I leave it out. Like you can see that all my horns are sitting out. All the saxophones, I've got a terragato, the, the taller clarinet looking one is a terragato. It's a Hungarian instrument and uh, that I bought from Charles Lloyd a couple years ago. I have um, everything from bass flute to piccolo. My bass flute is uh, Youssef Latif's old bass flute. You know, wow. it's sacred. It's sacred. And, uh, and the terragato I bought from Charles Lloyd. So from two of my mm -hmm. heroes, I have two of their instruments. I also have Youssef's main tenor from when he passed. I have a soprano mouthpiece also. And so all these things are out here. You know, I've got a few African instruments. I've got all these keyboards. I've got melodica. Um, I've got bells. I've got, you know, all sorts of percussion stuff in this corner by the drums, stuff that I've collected from around the world when I've traveled. The, the potential to be creative at any moment is here because I'm using Pro Tools also. I can record any idea that I have. And, and even if it's just a little nugget of an idea, I can expound upon that later, but if I can get the idea out of my, it's almost like with Harry Potter where they take the wand and they take the idea and they put it into a cauldron to keep it for later. Mm -hmm. You know, Pro Tools is kind of my cauldron. These hard drives are kind of my cauldrons to get these ideas out. And uh, so I have to have a creative space to do what I do. And my house is like that too. My wife is a very creative person. So our house is full of really interesting art. There's a piano inside the house. There's, there's flutes and whistles. Um, 
She plays harmonium and chants in Sanskrit. She's also studying um, African djembe with a couple of these master djembe folas that uh, we brought in through a project called Africa Nashville, which is africanashville.com if you want to check it out. It's pretty, pretty incredible. So the day is creative. You know, we have a beautiful garden outside. Our, our front yard, Leoko has planted everything out there. It's full of flowers and we have a grapevine along a, um, a split rail fence in the front. We're eating grapes from earlier today and we have a bunch of fruit trees along the side fence that we pulled an apple off of earlier today and ate it. Uh, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's like there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of life and there's a lot of growth. Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of potential really at every moment in, in my surroundings. You know, people ask me sometimes, I say like, well, you know, where's your favorite place to go? You know, as a musician, where's your favorite mm -hmm. place to go? I say home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, now there are other places I love to go and, and visit New Orleans, New York, um, you know, Seattle, San Francisco, et cetera, um, places overseas also. But, but this is my home. I've lived in Nashville now for 32 years. I mean, I've thought of leaving before, but I'm kind of like, I can do anything I want here. Some of the greatest musicians in the planet are here. Where am I going to go? L.A.? Probably not. New York? Definitely not. You know, <laughs> it's like I'm, I'm rooted here in a way that there's, there's great friends here. There's great relationships here. And, and if I need to get away from it, I can do that. I mean, I'm out a lot of the year anyway. I don't know if that answers the question or not, but but. I don't really remember the question anymore, but I, I hope I answered it. <laughs> yeah. I think, I, think, I, think, I think you answered, you answered about five questions there, Jeff. <laughs> there you go. Fantastic. <laughs> I got a question for you, though. Uh, when you think about the whole evolution of jazz studies programs, and of course, the University of North Texas is right there in the vanguard of being one of the first, along with yeah. uh, Berkeley and other schools, and of course, we, we understand the emergence of those programs. They had to sort of kind of kneel at the European altar to be accepted, hence the term laboratory bands, to, to sort of give right. the, 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 the connotation that there's some type of a experimental or academic engagement. But as we have moved into more of a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multiracial society where programs, music programs have evolved or expanded, I should say, if you are dean for a day and you have the magic wand to say we're going to really sort of we're going to reconstitute this curriculum we're going to do things now that make make for a more holistic approach to music where we engage in some of those things that you were talking about to make it sort of a decolonization if you will mm. of the curriculum what kind first of all starting with a jazz studies program what kind of changes would you would you make that's a great question, and I think it's it's a really pertinent question to um, the potentiality of change in music education, which I think is not only long overdue, uh, but necessary. I mean, I would start to implement more world music classes, percussion classes in particular, like African percussion classes. Hip hop would have to be part of the curriculum. I think too often, you know, we're still hearing ding, 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 which is beautiful. You know, but mm -hmm. but it's 70 years old, more than that in a lot of instances. So, mm -hmm. you know, you can't overestimate the importance of someone like Thelonious Monk or Louis Armstrong, Miles, Charlie Parker, etc. But there's been a lot of music since then also. And I think that 
we are sometimes doing a disservice to the students by asking them to understand all of the history kind of all at once, like in four years. We're asking for them to understand 120 years plus of improvisational jazz history. And it's, it's impossible. You know, I think about when I was at North Texas, I got there in 1985. Coltrane had been dead for 18 years. It's a blip, mm. right? So if we go back 18 years from now, that's 2005. And we think, oh, well, that was just yesterday. But when I was there, Coltrane was ancient history. You know, we loved Coltrane, but he was ancient history. You know, we were all checking out Brecker and Steve Grossman mm -hmm. and, and Leibs, you know. So you think about now, Train has been dead for 55 years, something like that. Mm -hmm. That's really ancient history, <laughs> you know. <laughs> that would be like, you know, us listening to, to, you know, like Scott Joplin or something, which is beautiful mm -hmm. and it's wonderful and, and certainly a very important part of the music. And, and, and you have to understand the history to be able to move forward. But, but I don't think that there's enough contemporary stuff that's being taught in the schools, because I, I think that a lot of a lot of the instructors really don't know what to listen to also. And so I think that music has evolved in a way that it's kind of an amalgam of all this different stuff. You know, if you listen to someone like, like more mother is teaching out there, right? Yes, she's amazing. Unbelievable. I was about to say a funny story about her. Uh, I was one of the on the search committee that hired her. And uh, some of my compositional colleagues were saying, how are you going to hire somebody to teach composition who can't read music? And my response was, well, you do realize that, that three-fifths of all the music in the world is not notated. So what she's oh. doing in terms of dealing with, with poetry and, and videography and all that, it's a whole other different, a whole fresh right. approach. There's nothing, there's nothing new about it. Right. But but again, fitting, fitting that into a, Euro, a Eurocentric uh, space where where this is the norm, this is what we study, everything else sort of functions as an auxiliary, you can see why it would be hard for her to be accepted and, and, and others like her because this, this breaks the norm of what music schools traditionally do. Yeah, when I first I, heard I, her music, I was completely and utterly blown away. And then when I heard what she was teaching out there, I was like, oh, good for you guys. That's, that's yeah. so great. And so I, I think that bringing in a lot of multimedia kind of stuff, bringing in things like poetry, mm -hmm. visual arts. Uh, we get 80% of the information through our eyeballs. We're mm -hmm. looking at high definition screens and listening with earbuds to compressed music, unless you're listening to Tidal, mm -hmm. that we're listening to stuff that's worse than an MP3. It's, it's like you wanna go see Picasso's Guernica and, and you get there and it's a cheesecloth with a print on it. That's <laughs> what we're listening to most of the time, like on Spotify or you know, sometimes Apple, depending on which format you're listening to. But there's so much compression that's gone on that we're, that we're losing the, the scope of the audio. But yet we're listening, mm -hmm. we're, we're looking at high def screens that are pristine, you can see people's pores. I mean, come on, you know? You get, you young guys don't, don't, you forget when an 8-track sounded like. Oh, I remember 8-track. So. <laughs> I, I had Tom Scott on 8-track and Boots Randolph. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the sonic quality is a little bit better, even compressed. That's that's very true. That's very true. So so anyway, so I I think just to wrap that part of it up, I think that I would have a lot more a lot more creativity. You know, people are creative, man. Students are creative, and 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 we saw that during the pandemic when we all had to kind of go inside, and shift. And how much creativity came out of that 
as we were coming out of that also, people learned how to create at home. And, and they sort of mm -hmm. learned, they learned about their own creativity, I think. And I think that's one of the things, especially at schools, that sometimes is a bit myopic because we want them to sound a certain way. Now, you, you know, you have to learn the fundamentals. You have to learn how to imitate and emulate before you have your own voice. Like when we're learning to speak a language, it's the same thing. I was talking to Bill Evans about this a couple of days ago because he lives here now, a sax player. You know, the importance of, of imitation and learning solos, listening to the masters of the, of the music. But everybody already has their own sound. Nobody's going to sound like Chris Potter except for Chris Potter. Nobody's, even Ravi doesn't mm -hmm. sound like John, you know? That's true. And, and, and Felix doesn't sound like Jocko. You know, so, so it's like if their own sons don't sound like them, why mm -hmm. would you even try? Like just, you know, continue to develop what you already have naturally sound-wise on your instrument through the education, through the drawing out. Education has a Latin root of educare, which means to draw out, through the drawing out of listening. Because with listening, you can have everything. If you're not listening, you're going to get nothing. You know, so I, I think it's really important to to understand even that if you're taking a lesson a week for an hour, it's 168 hours in a week. If you take a lesson for an hour, you're on your own for 167 hours. Who's really <laughs> doing the teaching? Our job as educators, in my opinion, is to teach a student to give them the ability to draw out of what they're doing an understanding of how to get better at it to teach them how to practice, to teach them to, to draw out that information in a way that during those 167 hours, they're able to progress and to figure out how do I get better at this? How do I identify my strengths and weaknesses, et cetera? This allows them to kind of figure out how they hear music improvisationally too. Like, I don't want, none of my students sound like me, thank God, you know? It's like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want that. As much as, as, as Pietro or, or Potter or Seamus Blake or Ben Wendell or whoever, they don't want anybody else to sound like them. Lovano, a lot of people sounded like Lovano for a long time. Mark Turner also, they even, they even bounced the way that Mark plays. Like that's going to make them sound like Mark Turner. I'm like, no, it's not going to make you sound like Mark Turner. You know, there's only one Mark Turner. Why would you possibly mm -hmm. want to sound like him? Sounds beautiful, but man, you got to find your own thing. That's what we have to continue to develop in these programs is through the education part of the history, but also pulling from the contemporary stuff, asking, asking these young students, what are they listening to? You know, I, I may ask my students to listen to Johnny Griffin. Well, I do. I ask them to listen, listen to Johnny Griffin or Sonny or Ornette or whoever. But when I flip that, I should be able to say, but who are you listening to? Hit me to some of the stuff that you're checking out. And they always do, man. They, they pull up some stuff. I'm like, oh, I don't know who that is. But I ask them to play it for me. And I ask them why they like it. What are they hearing in this music? And how can we influence what they're doing with what they're listening to? You know, it may be a groove. It may be maybe something harmonic. It, 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 you know, it may be a sound. It may be using pedals. It may be whatever. There's a reason that they're still playing Roy Hargrove tunes. You know, so like, mm -hmm. I want to know what it is that draws them to that music. I want them to realize what that is so that they can turn around and bring that spirit of Roy Hargrove into their music. 
the spirit of Louis Armstrong, the spirit of Bob Dylan, the spirit of Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson. It's all the same. It's the spirit that's the same. The music is always going to be different. You know, Radiohead, when I first started checking, I know I'm babbling here. Radiohead, when they, when they first came out, I was reading interviews. I remember I heard OK Computer. Hadn't heard any of their other music, but I heard about Radiohead. I went to Tower. I listened to a couple of things. I was like, this is amazing. I came home and I told my stepson, who was maybe 12 or 13 at the time, I said, I said, you've got to check this record out. I said, they're going to go down as one of the greatest rock bands in history. Now, this was after having listened to half the record. I never saw it again. He took it and I never saw it again. <laughs> I had to buy another <laughs> copy for myself. Um, but I remember I was reading interviews with them about being in the studio. And they said, you know, when we go in the studio, we're listening to like early 70s Miles, Alice Coltrane, you know, et cetera, right? And we're playing along with it. And most times we end up stopping and just listening as we're playing along with it. And we, we're getting that spirit of that music into what we're trying to do. And it made complete sense after hearing what they were saying about it and listening to that music, you know? And, and they've been around now for a long time. So it's sort of like, oh, well, there's sort of kind of the old guard now, but they're still very, very, very creative musicians. And I don't think creativity, you know, look at Wayne Shorter. God, Wayne was creative up until the day he passed. And, and thank the gods that we had him for as long as we did. So creativity should evolve. It, you know, it shouldn't be like, like you can only play baseball until you're what, like late 30s, maybe early 40s if you're lucky. If you're Phil Necro, what, 50? I don't know. But there, you know, there are outliers, but, but not many of them. But with, with right. the arts, it never has to stop. I'm more creative now than I've ever been in my life. You know, and, it, and, and, and I'm sure you guys probably feel the same way about it. Like, I'm just I'm just hitting a stride. Like, I'm open to so many more things than I was ever open to. And, and I know more on how of how to get to those things and to explore the willingness to explore the confidence to explore the willingness to call up musicians I've never played with and say, hey, man, will you play on this for me? And, mm -hmm. and to create with people in a way that, you know, I'm, I'm confident to do now. And, uh, and, and so to witness your own creativity and to, to accept it for where you are, to understand that it's all process, all of it is process, and that, that the one constant in every relationship, and we're in relationship 24-7, the one constant is always going to be conflict, some varying degree of it, some greater, some much lesser. But you think about it like a C and a G on piano, there's not much conflict there. But a C and an F sharp, conflict, <laughs> you know, or a C and a C sharp, there's some conflict. But after after a while, you understand like, oh well, there's also beauty in that conflict. Kendrick Lamar's mm -hmm. last record, there was a lot of conflict on that record, but there was a lot of beauty on that record also. Some of it was hard to listen to. There's a there's a series called The Bear. I'm not sure if you've seen it or not, about a chef that yes, comes from a Michelin yes. star restaurant to take over his brother's basically hamburger stand. Uh, in Chicago, or a, a, um, like a sandwich shop, you know, it's it's a counter. Yeah, it's like, yeah, right. It's food counter. And almost, man, yeah. there's conflict in there. There was one episode in the second season. It was so intense. It was like them being with their family and just this intense, intense, intense conflict. Jamie Lee Curtis was the mom, and uh, oh, it was it was mind blowing, you know. So there's varying degrees of conflict, but there's relationship everywhere, and it's all process. It's all process. So, mm -hmm. so for the young, for the young players out there, even for the, the more seasoned players, accept your process, 
accept that you're in process and you will always be in process and that this is an ongoing thing. And, uh, and, and the, the quicker we accept that, I think the easier it's going to be. Uh, you know, again, I tell my students this a lot. Give yourself a little pat on the shoulder and a little kick in the ass, but neither one of them too much. Jeff, I, I've got time for one more question, and you're still dean. Dean, dean for, a for a day. I like it. <laughs> yes, sir. I like it, too. So uh, we're, all three of us have been music educators uh, for a long time. What you're, you're now giving the commencement speech to those students who want to make a, a career in the arts. What would you tell them? What's your kind of parting device, uh, you know, advice when it's time to say goodbye? Yeah. Well, for now, I, I would say that I mean a number of things. I would talk about the people who they're sitting next to, and that you really don't know where anyone's going. You don't know who the person you're sitting next to, what their career is going to be. They may be a banker. They may be maybe a fisherman. They may be the most successful. They may be Taylor Swift. They might be Seamus Blake. They might be whoever. Understand there's a great unknown. Embrace that unknown. Don't be afraid of it. Something that a friend of mine told me many years ago. Well, he asked me. He said, do you trust in the process of life? And I said, yes. And, uh, and I still do. And so I would encourage them to trust in the process of life. Be proactive in that process. I would talk about the power of yes and how important that is. Uh, I did a clinic one time with Maceo Parker. And he told me about how he got the James Brown gig. And in a nutshell, his brother, uh, Melvin, was a drummer, and James wanted to hire him. He said, oh, I promised my mom I would, I would finish my, my school. He said, okay. He said, well, he says, when you're ready, come find me, and I'll hire you for the band. So he had finished school, and, and James was playing somewhere close in the Carolinas where they lived. And he went, he and Maceo went, and they were like, well, how are we going to find James? And they were like, oh, we'll just look for the limo, right? But sure enough, they found the limo and tapped on the window, it was, you know, it rolled down. It was James. He said, uh, Mr. Brown, um, you know, I'm Melvin Parker, drummer. You know, you told me to look you up when I was finished with school and you hired me for a gig. Well, I'm finished. And uh, I'd very much like to play in your band. So he, he got out. He hired him. He said, um, he said, Mr. Parker is my brother, Maceo. He's a sax player and he needs a gig, too. And <laughs> <laughs> he said he looked, he looked at Maceo and said, do you play baritone? Son, he said, son, do you play baritone sax? And Maceo said, man, he said, I had never played baritone sax in my life. He said, but I knew if I said no, that was the end of the conversation. So I said, uh, yes, sir. And he said, James kind of laughed because he said he, he was on to me. He said he, he was savvy, you know. And uh, he said he put his hand on my shoulder and said, son, do you even own a baritone saxophone? <laughs> and he said, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> he said he said well i'll tell you what he said if you can get a baritone sax by tomorrow morning and meet the bus at 9 a.m i'll hire you on my band the power of yes because mm. he said i knew that that's, that's that it. conversation would have been over and uh so i would talk to them about that i would talk to them again about being an asset in a situation about the importance of relationships to develop those and to put time into those relationships look you can put a lot of time into into working on your instrument in a practice room, we have to understand that in order to get a gig, you have to have a relationship with someone. You have to be around, you have to be around a group of people that want to play with you. Somebody told me recently that, that Ron Carter said to them, when he, when he leaves a musical situation, he wants people to miss him. 
And I just thought, wow, what a beautiful thing, you know, to miss him. And Bill Evans is like that also. Bill is a great hang. He's funny, really witty, um, very engaging. He's just the kind of person you want to be around. Dave Matthews is like that also. Bela is like that. Victor is like that. Roy is like that. So I think being around people that are like that makes a big difference, you know. Make yourself an asset in the situation. Make yourself indispensable. When I first joined the Flectones, one of the things that Dave Pietro, of all people, told me, he said, get off the written page as quickly as possible. The music was very complex. He said, but the quicker you're off the page, the freer you are in the music. And uh, it was some of the best advice I ever got. Recognize that as a musician, you also have to play a role. So my role in the Flectones was different than my role in the Matthews Band is different than my role if I'm going into the studio and playing solo or in a section, which is different than my role in my bands, which is different as my in my role as an educator also. So understanding these different roles that we have to play, I think is really important. And being able to play those those different roles authentically is very important. And uh, and that's what gets you hired back. You know, be able to read music. If you're an instrumentalist, be able to read music. You don't have to be the greatest reader, but you know, if you want to do studio work, you're going to have to be able to read music. If you want to play people's original music, you're going to have to be able to read music. So I, I think basic skills are really important. And again, understanding that just because you can play your butt off doesn't mean that you're going to get the gig. It's probably going to be the person that's been there for 20 years because there's other aspects of that that are more important than you being able to play your butt off, especially going on the road. You know, if, if, if you're going... If you're going on the road and you're playing two or three hours a night, there's still 21 hours in the day that you're going to be in each other's <laughs> orbit. So if, if you're a pain in the butt to be around, they're going to hire somebody else that's not. They may not be as great a player as this person, but the hang is really important also. Being able to, yeah, to be able to go sure. with the flow. And, uh, you know, I think those, those things are really important. So, yeah, it'd probably be a long commencement speech, just like this answer. well you've uh given us some amazing words of wisdom and we can't thank you enough for taking uh time on a stormy stormy monday no it's not monday stormy (laughs) saturday (laughs) that's my Uh, pleasure so anyway wish you the best of uh luck and thanks again for your time and uh, you're welcome helping us uh feed that starving artist my pleasure my pleasure yeah. Hope to see you guys. Ron, any parting words from uh, Dr. McCurdy? Just great to uh, have a chance to spend some time with you. You and I had a great time at the Gen Conference back yeah. in January on our Yamaha panel. Yeah. And uh, you were dispensing a lot of knowledge that day as you did this, this morning. So thank you for your wisdom and thank you for your willingness to share what you've, what you, what you, what you've learned all these years of being involved with an artist. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you guys too for all you do and music education and, and, and music in general. So yeah, it's a mutual admiration society. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thanks so much. Good luck on the road. We'll see you. We'll see Sounds you later. Great. Sounds Sounds great. Much love you guys. Take care. Take care. Thank you. Bye bye.